Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast that discusses current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues in pharmacy. I'm your host, Carly McMore, and together with my producer, Jared McMore, and the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, we are bringing you a podcast that draws on the opinions and expertise of pharmacists from all settings and experience levels. From those pharmacists who've already been a voice in the profession, to those who've never had their voice heard before. We wanted to continue to bring you some podcasts during the coronavirus. These podcasts were pre-recorded and they're not to make light of anything that any pharmacist um, or any other healthcare professional might be experiencing during the coronavirus. I'd like to thank you for your hard work and say that you're all doing a great job and I hope that you're still enjoying the podcasts. So please listen to some pre-recorded podcasts that are new and I hope that you enjoy them. Thanks. Assertiveness. What is it? How do you use it? Should you use it? And if so, when? With joint accountability, how can we be assertive for the best interests of our patients and ourselves, whilst working together with other healthcare professionals and sharing our voice? Adam Lavori discusses the importance of providing positive feedback as a method of maintaining professional assertiveness with peers. Yeah, um, I think... And it's, uh, it's it's probably um, easy for me to say it in the in the environment that that I work in in a um, in a hospital setting as far as the contact time that you get with um, with your doctors and that you're normally dealing with junior doctors as opposed to say seasoned seasoned GPS. Um, but I try and take every opportunity for positive engagement rather than simply being a person. I think like you touched on it before about being the policeman. Um, rather than, you know, having that thing where the only time you get a phone call from a pharmacist is because there's an issue. And often that issue can have very little effect on, on patient care. It might be just like they've done a PBS thing wrong or they've they've done the wrong quantity. Um, and I think that's probably my big thing is that when they're doing something well, like let them know. People like to hear that they're doing a good job. Um you know, and we as pharmacists will often, as a profession, complain about our lack of perhaps recognition or, or pats on the back. But at the same time, um, I don't think we, we actively um, or at least publicise when we give other people pats on the back and, and congratulate them and, and appreciate their work. So that's probably the big thing as far as the um, as far as assertiveness goes. So yeah, I think when it comes to when it comes to pharmacist assertiveness, it's probably more so about taking the opportunity to have positive engagements because I think it makes the potentially negative engagements no longer a negative thing, um, and instead we're we're creating teachable moments uh, and learning moments. Um, but again, I say that with the full full respect that it might not necessarily be as easy. Um, but I think in saying that, the the position I've gotten with some of the junior doctors at work has been not through a um, through a level of, of respect or um, or anything purely because of where I am, but more so that I've always positively engaged with them. And that's, I think, why they're probably more willing to, to have a discussion with me um, rather than chasing them around with my passive purple pen, um, commenting on the way that they're doing their job. We're obviously using the the, the term purple pen more about a, a representation in the manner at which we communicate. So whether it's yeah, like leaving that um, leaving that voicemail message with with one of the reception staff at the GP clinic or whatever manner in which we choose to communicate, 
I think we we often can be um, yeah that that, that passive aggressive nature I think is something that we I actively try and um, negate from um, and at the same time you know um, I'll also own it and and I guess create humor about it with regards to um, the doctors that I work with when they're like oh is there anything I need to know about the patient's admission and I'll be like oh there's a whole bunch of passive aggressive comments in my pharmacist's admission I said nothing urgent and they'll, they'll you know we'll have a laugh about that and be like as a pharmacist, I want these issues corrected, but I also respect that the role you're doing right now, these aren't pertinent to the patient's imminent safety or care. Um, and so although it's my priority to get them fixed, I acknowledge that it's not your priority to do it now. Renee Beardmore discusses how to develop presence, skill development, as well as reflection, and including the patient. I have a personal theory that um, when you come out of university that it takes you clinically well-equipped, you know, you've got to learn on-the-job training, but in terms of the way the business works in which you work, if it's community or the hospital or whichever environment in which you end up. But I have a theory that uh, it takes a good three to four years to develop what I call presence, and that's presence to be able to say something that you believe in with conviction and say it with confidence, and that's to patients and to prescribers. And um, I think that um, having those difficult conversations and, you know, perhaps, you know, making sure at university that we are um, skilling up our students, you know, clinical, clinically and um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, just in terms of just everyday conversational skills to be able to have that difficult conversation because it's really important because that example of the methotrexate that was such a tragedy, I've reflected personally on what I would have done in that situation and I'm 100% certain I would never have dispensed it as one a day. Um, You know, 2020 hindsight, you can't, you know, I don't want to judge the pharmacist, but I can completely understand where she was. You know, I've in my career rung prescribers up and said, you know, dear doctor, did you really mean to prescribe? And even the language that we use, we don't say, dear doctor, you're wrong. You say, dear doctor, did you really mean to prescribe? And, uh, you know, the doctor said, no, that's what I want. You know, we've all had those conversations and I've been really frank and open with patients. I've gone out and I've said, I've done what I believe, I've calculated this is what I believe the dose to be, your doctor insists that this is the dose. You know, we don't need to keep that from the patient, that the healthcare team has a different opinion. You know, we don't need to protect that, you know, and show them the evidence, you know, here it is. Print out the PI. This is how I've worked it out. You know, it's all about informed consumers. Let them make the decision. Joyce McSwan and I discuss the importance of finding your voice, regardless of setting, and how experiences in different settings strengthen this skill. You have quite an interesting view on psychology. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I think I describe that. Yeah, motivators, what underlines it. It's good to get that across because people, yeah, don't, it's not always understood. Yes. Yes. How to motivate people. You've also mentioned persuasion, communication, yeah. all of the above. They're actually all evidence from some of the current um, transformation, like global transformation um, disruptions that we're seeing. So some of the, um, for, ex- for example, business, actually Monash Business School um, lead here in, in Melbourne, 
um, have found that the some of the transformations in technological disruption is resulting in um, some, you know, skill replacement that will occur. So everyone's frightened about those. But skill replacements that will never occur and, in fact, highly, highly required because of our transformation in this whole disruption, you know, world that we're going through, phase that we're going through, new markets coming, you know, the Ubers. And and one thing, and the thing that is not going to be shaken is communication with persuasion. That will not be shaken. No robot, robot can do that. And anybody in that healthcare role, particularly, also will not be touched so much by disruption. Um, our diagnostics will get faster. That's fine great but then what so you can tell me that um oh i've got cancer and you told me at the speed of a lightning bolt whereas it would have taken me you know like maybe three weeks to find out right but now with the diagnostics and the tests and the screenings and we, we can get all that quickly okay great that's thank you mr robot but then the human element still has to kick in to now do what it needs to do to help with the influence of the care so i think yeah, some of my understanding and, um, you know, empowerment and, and, and some of the, the more depth of my understanding um, has come from just understanding some of these evidence-based areas of study that are coming around, um, yeah, which helps us to, I suppose, get these softer skills more improved, yeah. Brilliant. I don't know if that was useful or not. Definitely. (laughs) Okay. That's kind of like a a side, by the way, side note. (laughs) Yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. He's based here in um, Warfield. Um, I had to go all the way to KL. Not that I'm so geeky of me. I had to go all the way to KL and in my hotel I noticed, oh, Monash Alumni Evening. I was a bit of a loose end. I went, oh, just go down. I think I'd pass, you know. <laughs> I'm a past student. Um, not from the business side, but it was a business forum. Yeah. And basically this guy from Caulfield all the way to KL was given like a Monash alumni and he was talking about digital transformation and disruption and what – and he used to be one of the Microsoft leads mm-hmm. and, he, and collaboration was another thing. He said they put together um, some robots to work together and they couldn't. They couldn't make these robots work together. So collaboration could not be programmed. Yeah, I enjoy it so much. Like I think I've, I've come to realise, I don't know, I think it's come from a lot of, tra- it's all trained. I, this is not innate. It's I wasn't born like thinking like this. I think the training came from the pain work. Having to work out complex case studies and literally going, there's no, no way. There will be a way. Now what is it? Like, like in going, we'll work till there is a way. Come on, can we look from this window? Can we look from that window, you know? So I th- it, it's been, yeah, yeah, it, I think that's how it's become. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so you practice that way of thinking, I think. Because it's the minority, not the majority. Yeah, I, I believe so. <laughs> I've come to realise so, which is why I'm like, where are we at? It was fascinating. And I think exposure outside of pharmacy, I mean, you'd appreciate that. Uh-huh. Exposure outside of pharmacy is like 
so important. I don't know how you get that outer experience. Like it's almost as if you've got to go and spend a year with the personal trainer, <laughs> you know, or whatever. I mean, it's something different or with the hotel industry. Like you need to go and spend a day, spend a year working in hotel management or in like the concierge department. I don't care where, but somewhere because it's, it's, it's that, I think that overall experience it's um, really interesting. I I have a couple of things to share. So one is when Jared talks about he thinks about his frustration. Sometimes he thinks that we don't always have a voice. Mm. There's only a couple of people that have a lot of voice, mm. and they're hoping that these people will just stand up for everybody. Yes. And it's not like you have an opinion, you have a voice, and you mm. have experience, mm. and you should share that. Mm. And there's a point where you're like, why? Yeah, why do you not want to use your voice? And where is that confidence? Mm. Um, and for me, I've been challenged more recently where I kind of thought when I was young, like all I wanted to do was take lots and lots of jobs and get lots and lots of experience and learn as much as I could. And I loved it. Like I loved having my fingers in lots of different pies mm-hmm. um, and learning. And it meant sometimes I'd be like a personal assistant to a director of a private hospital when I was studying or mm-hmm. I'd work for the primary care trust, which was like a Medicare local mm-hmm. and they were doing the commissioning and I'd work as a person, like when I was studying as a personal assistant for the director. And mm-hmm. I got to see so many different mm-hmm. avenues of cost considerations and I yeah. got to see some like doctor's data, you know, when they look at the prescribing and I've yes. got to see that total yep. side. And it totally changes your perspective. It does. Um, And then by the time you get to do what you do, you can put all of that together. Yes, so important. I've challenged myself now to think I don't want my CV to just be what it – like I want to be that person again. You want to be that person that was learning lots of things, seeing lots of things and making sure you engage with your fingers and lots of pies. And I've challenged myself on that as well Yeah. because I think you – sometimes we all get – you only see what's inside the box. Yes, you do. And I think that could be why – yeah, the the constraints are there, being able to sort of think outside the square. I think that's a learnt response. Um, you know, you train into that. You, it just doesn't come innately. I but think if you it, are someone who is a mover and shaker, you can also very much so scare people. So yes. what you were experiencing today <laughs> was a bigger perspective with an open mind and yes. um, people very comfortable in their comfort zone yes. and they're not happy with being shaken. No. Yeah, that's right. No. So it was really – it's a fascinating experience. To, to me, I, I realise where it's still at or where we need to help to move from and where facilitation is necessary, you know, from. I had admission from a pharmacist who said, you know what, you told me to, yeah, yeah, I I hear you that I've got to write a referral letter to a GP to represent the patient if I find things out, but I'm just really worried about getting the right words down and if I don't know the terminology, then I don't do that. And I said, then then it falls off and I don't do that for the patient and that's another day gone, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well... You know, you're overthinking it. <laughs> if it's new information that the doctor needs to know, I don't care how you say it. They don't need complex words either. They're actually not that complex themselves. <laughs> they're actually little, they're pretty simple-minded people, you know. More than you realise, they're like putting them up on this pedestal. And that I'm like, happens. Wait, wait, <laughs> when you work with doctors every day, yeah. you see the exact same things. You see... Comfort levels. Yeah. You see comfort zones. Yeah. You see excuses, just like everybody yes. else has. Yeah. You see um, complacency. Yes. You see people who are comfortable following certain criteria, yeah. people who don't want to change what they've yes. done 20 years ago. Yes. And you see all the same, the same as 
what yeah. you see in yes. pharmacy. And it's yes, quite, I'm like, they're not so different, honestly. And not it's at all. Great. And it's okay. Like, honestly, they're not looking for, for your great-grand letter that you spent nights aching over because you didn't get the right word. Like, I was telling them, like, okay, if you're talking about, like, a bladder and bowel, like, patient cannot pee or poo, you know, yeah. that'll be fine because that's in new information, you know. <laughs> Perfect. The doctor will look at that and go, oh, my gosh, that's significant. Thanks for letting me know. He's not going <laughs> to worry about, gee, you didn't say bladder and you didn't say bowel and you didn't say possible compression, you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, that's a red flag. You say how it's got to say and off you go because, like, come on. We're urgent here, you know. So it's, it's and he was like, no, no, okay, okay. Oh, really? I think okay. I got the confidence. I'm like, just do it. Yeah, yeah. And I find that a lot too. Mm. Yeah, and people wanting to take responsibility. Same across all healthcare yeah. professionals. But that's a well. resilience thing, though. That comes down to that confidence and resilience. We're not talking about being Einstein or learning to be some PhD researcher. It's all just those core skills that aren't there, you know. Yeah, yeah, and maybe the opportunity to to develop isn't there. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, which I which I think can be packaged into a, you know, um, a, I don't know, something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I hear you on that. Packaged into something. I wonder about it too. <laughs> we talk about it as well, even schools and kids not being taught about how to balance their bank accounts and credit mm. cards and stuff like that. Like there's so many different aspects Skills. and with pharmacy it's the those little bits about they make a big difference and they shape the industry potentially. Could and can do, you know. I reckon everything we're gonna we're politically savvy. Anything we negotiate we'll get. I can almost assure you, more or less, with a bit of push and a bit of time, we'll get. But then we won't deliver. Or there's a concern about whether we can deliver, but we'll get. We will get. With a bit of persuasion, we know how to play our cards. Uh, you know, really, we've got that. I think we've got that down pat way better than the Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> yes, but my worry is, can whoop, can we deliver? Can we deliver consistently across the board? Yes, with everyone being upskilled the same way. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's an attitudinal. It's a mindset thing, really. Yeah, and I think, like I said, honestly, it's um, – have I shared with you the Waitoto model? No. Oh, okay. So so my theory is that um, – so there's this beautiful um, Ugandia um, mission um, that's uh, 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 orphanage-style called Waitoto when these Canadian missionaries um, – they're, they're actually native to the land but because they were born there through their, you know – previous um, ancestors who were missionaries and they basically looked at the country and they said if this is going to be our country wow we better do something different otherwise we're going to be where we are with all the poverty and 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 um you know legal issues and what have you and security issues more than anything so they had an overwhelming amount of basically um mothers who were very disempowered um, and babies basically so they started to look visionarily at how they were going to transform a nation a nation um there was you know high crime rates all the above they basically started with the babies and they went if they're, they're untouched right they're really innocent and we can teach them anything and if we begin by teaching these babies and grow them and nurture them into leaders of tomorrow then we've got a chance. 
fast-tracked, 30 years. Some of those babies are judges of the land now. Early days, but it's transforming. Um, so they have a very actually excellent business model, I would have thought, from creating uh, self-sustaining care, um, lots of self-care within and lots of, uh, you know, not, not this sort of, you know, we're going to pay your whole way, um, lots of workforce capability from the trained and retrained mothers. Um, incredible. And now twin fast tracks, so give it some time and that consistency, it's transforming a whole nation um, from where it was by starting cellularly with those babies. So to me, I think for a pharmacy profession, if we adopt that similar, what I call the Waitoto model, um, to actually really focus in on a few years after, um, after graduation and have that, you know, one to two, three-year support service that's required um, and really help them to meet their goals and, you know, visions, then I think we will be able to, in time, um, recreate industry will be really proud of and what their talent has trained them out for Uh, yeah so it'll take time it's not a tomorrow thing but I think you've got a chance there you know that way you'll slowly weed out (laughs) I suppose some of the old ways um and and then they've got to keep evolving so that they don't get stuck in the old ways as well you know and be adaptable and okay with change and encourage change almost hungry for change um, it, it's that whole paradigm shift, yeah, coming in on the paradox and being okay with that. You know, it's powerful, yeah. Amanda Cross talks about the negative connotations of the term assertive, especially from a gendered viewpoint. I think assertive has a number of negative associations and connotations with it, um, potent, particularly for a woman. Um, so I would prefer not to use that term I think um it's not to say that I don't think that like I might be being assertive but I wouldn't like that term um I think it's really important that you use well-reasoned like arguments and conversations to ensure things get done um which is probably the definition of assertive but I think yeah it has too many negative connotations and it puts limitations on conversations and people if you do use that term um but I do find that yeah you do, you do need to work hard sometimes to get your voice heard and to convince a patient of a change or convince a doctor of a medication change or convince pharmacy owner of a new service those sort of things um but it's more about going in with the well-reasoned argument a well-thought-out plan um and understanding what the other party's values and thoughts and ideas are in that topic um, to achieve what you're wanting to achieve rather than necessarily having that sort of aggressive, assertive term being applied to it. Mark Norton reminds us that poor communication can end in deaths. Being assertive when it matters saves lives. I've just written an editorial Um, which will be published soon in the Journal of Pharmacy Practice Research. And it was originally going to be an editorial on uh, a medication error that 
um, I came across when I was over in um, Canada. It was about a young boy that died as a result of a compounding error. And, and that's still in the editorial. But when I came back to Australia, the issue around the pharmacist who had dispensed methotrexate and um, and it was the incorrect dose was 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 raised again and um, I, I was involved in a review of some coronial deaths um, we had a student review uh, a series of um, non-opioid and non-benzodiazepine um, related deaths in Australia which included that methotrexate dose and uh, the, the title for my editorial is Communication Troubles Us. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a title that um, I've... The, the, the general theme of the title was borrowed off a, uh, a friend whose PhD was in gender studies, effectively, and her, her title was... Her, first, her opening line was Gender Troubles Us. Um, my title is Communication Troubles Us, and I think that particular case is a good example of around pharmacist assertiveness um, I think we have well I've seen a, a number of cases where pharmacists aren't assertive and and it was pro- probably a matter of time when an error was going to occur as a result of um, you know a miscommunication uh, or more more specific a, a communication that didn't go well because because people weren't able to express clearly their concerns. Um, so I think uh, it, who's responsible for that? Ultimately, it's the individual, the, the practitioners, uh, is responsible for, for how they communicate. Um, could we do better in the training? Absolutely. And should it be more widely examined in undergraduate level? Uh, arguably, yes, um, but more specifically, should it be examined as part of registration? And I think the board, the pharmacy board, could perhaps do a um, you know broadening of how they register pharmacists in their ability to communicate uh, not just clearly but in an assertive way. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to ajppodcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast.